Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody and uh, thanks so much for joining us again for another Motorsport Magazine podcast and we have a cracker for you today. He was a Grand Prix driver, he's won Le Mans five times and he's always, always associated with the Goodwood Revival which is where we are today. Well, we're not at the Revival today, we're at Goodwood today, obviously, um, ahead of the brand new members meeting. So we're all sitting around a table in the comfort of the Goodwood Hotel. Thank you very much, Lord March. Um, welcome, Manuel Ipiro. Well, hello. Um, because this is a podcast, actually, I can't say good morning, I can't say good afternoon, so I will say ciao to everybody. I'm really, really proud to be here because I listen to all the podcasts, and uh, actually it's a, it's a great, great team of people. And, uh, yeah, I'm, honestly, I'm very, very proud to be a guest of your program. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Well, we love it that you're here as well. Just before we get underway, um, let me tell you about our latest subscription offer. Um, you can get up to six editions absolutely free when you subscribe. You can either get 30 magazines for the price of 24 or 15 for the price of 12. But either way, you get six magazines completely free, which is good. I would give seven completely free just because, you know, you have an Italian guest, it's, it's a good gesture, why not? <laughs> but uh, even six is, is a jolly good deal, so you should do it, you should do it, you guys should do it. Bravo, Manuel, grazie. I'm glad it counts on here. Grazie. Uh, as I was trying to say... Um, I think you're going to have to cut that out, Alan, yes. No, I don't think we're going to cut that out. I think that's all good fun. That's what we, that's what we expect when Piro's in the room. Okay, um, there, are, there are various options available, as ever. There's the usual print magazine, of course, but there's also the digital version. And you can also get both and access to the new online archive, which includes every single article ever published in Motorsport magazine since the year 1924. You probably read the first one, Manuel, didn't you, in 1924? Actually, I was born in 1925, so... Ah. <laughs> okay. Quite a few teammates would, uh, would okay. laugh, because okay. obviously, See. with uh, Alan McNish and Frank uh, Biller, uh, we yes, pull each yes, other's leg about yes. the age pretty, <laughs> yes. pretty severely. We can say anything we like about McNish, Capello and Cohen here, can't we? Um, okay. 
Manueli, um, thank you so much for joining us. You, you've, had, you've had rather a, uh, a long trip from Rome, I gather, but anyway, well done. Well, sometimes uh, the distance, be- distance between Rome and the UK uh, stretches a little bit like today. <laughs> it depends on the air traffic control and other, and other uh, uh, tricks. But uh, now again, uh, I'm really, really proud to be here. Uh, I don't. I really mean it. But motorsport is is a great magazine, and the more I I grow up, the more I I look back actually, um, and and the more I appreciate the history of motor racing, and and the more I appreciate the articles that you guys uh, uh, Thank you. write. Thank you. Well, you're you're a part of motor racing history now, so that's that's all good, isn't it? Right? Well, it's all bad, but uh, <laughs> if if I was a part of motor racing future, I, I would feel a lot happier. <laughs> but that's the way it is, you know. It's probably right. a good time for me to point out. I don't if you're aware of this but I first met you 30 years ago this month it was the International Trophy at Silverstone 1984 yes and uh, if you remember the difference uh, between uh, now and then it's uh, from the (laughs) forehead up there was in both of us quite a significant difference okay Okay, we were both very young okay Um, Manuel you're here of course to drive at the um, Goodwood members meeting the first ever members meeting which starts tomorrow morning Um, tell us what you're driving well, first, um, I'm telling you that I'm uh, uh, head of uh, uh, Turbolton House, so please support us. Um, and uh, I will be driving a Ford Capri, which is actually, I, I, I had to go a couple of weeks ago, and it's a very, very cool car, yeah. because uh, I have driven, uh, thank God, quite a lot of historic cars. Thank God and thank Lo- Lord March. Yeah. Well, in this order, in this order, in this order. Same sort of thing, really. <laughs> and uh, which uh, sometimes you really get, of course, you always get very excited, but sometimes also very nervous because you are sitting in a piece of history uh, which is worth, uh, forget about the money, but it, it's just a piece of history which sure. cannot be replaced. Uh, and this always uh, makes me drive, say, at 95%, I don't really like to talk about percentages, but always with, with on the back of my mind to be careful and, and uh, to n- not to crash, not to make a damage. With this, uh, with these cars like the, the Capri, because it's a younger car, um, I feel you can push this car a little more. It, it's just a few years before I actually started, and uh, uh, I'm sure you have studied my career very well before inviting me. But uh, <laughs> I, I started with, uh, with uh, of course, with single seaters. But early uh, in in '85, I, I I also, uh, besides single seaters, have been driving uh, saloon cars mm. with a BMW 635. So these kind of cars were were quite similar. So I really feel like I can push these cars a little more, which is actually giving me a lot of satisfaction yeah, because yeah. I, I miss real racing a lot and historic racing is is beautiful fantastic is a dream but it doesn't give me the 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 true adrenaline of real racing because you don't really oh i don't really i'm not able to squeeze the last uh uh, drop of juice just because i respect the cars too much okay um before we go on to talk about your career which is um as we know a long and amazingly successful one I must just ask you one more question about Goodwood, because one of the reasons that you're so um, adored by the Goodwood crowd is because you complete... My Italian accent, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Not not your accent. Um, Is because you understand that it's entertainment. 
And when you won the tourist trophy race in Bernie Carlsy type Jaguar, you have just got to tell us the story of the end of that race because it's a wonderful story. Um, if I could just remind you, what you did was, having crossed the line as the winner, you then decided to sort of halfway round almost get out of the car. Yes, uh, it is true, and I don't know why I have this kind of uh, instinct, which uh, first time I did it when I won the um, Nürburgring 24 hours in 1987, just hanging out of the car. But this is n obviously it's not acting, it's just a way to express my, my joy, and uh, because I feel so, so blessed to, to be doing what I'm doing, if I wasn't a racing driver, I would I would be here as a, as a fan and I would be in pole position to ask for autographs. So every single day I feel so happy that uh, I, I feel like it's, it's almost a duty to share this, this joy and happiness with, with other people. And this is probably my way of expressing it. So I just went out of the car, which is an exercise I've done it before, so no danger. And, and because also the people at Goodwood, uh, I mean, I, I love Italian people, but you guys have a passion, have a competence for racing. So and. Uh, because I've been here many times, I feel uh, I feel really close to the to the crowd, and and I also feel that they they kind of uh, feel sympathy for me. So I just went out of the car, removed my helmet, and uh, uh, nearly said every said hi to every single to every single spectator, which I actually did in Le Mans. But w this is the next story we we talk about because it, it's worth mentioning. So it was really nice, a lot of happiness, everybody happy. I started, uh, stopped at start and finish, and uh, Dario Franchitti was my teammate. You know, we hug and we're very happy, and, uh, and uh, Lord March. And then Lord March said, ah, it was so nice of you. Why don't you both step in the car, one each side, and do another uh, parade lap, which was quite nice. There, was, there were nice photos, uh, we both happy, and uh, everything okay. Until <laughs> uh, towards uh, later in the day, I'm called by the stewards, and uh, and uh, I thought, what did I do wrong? Normally, not that I've been always good, but I, I always try to be good. And what did I do wrong? I didn't remember anything wrong. So I went there uh, with, you know, polite, like uh, I used to be. I said, yeah, this is me. And then I said, sit down. <laughs> okay, I sit down. There was uh, my chair and four guys in front of me, and, and they pointed the, the finger at me, and they said, you have broken all the rules. So uh, first I actually turned back because I thought there was somebody else behind me and they were pointing <laughs> to somebody else. And then uh, I was alone. So I thought, uh, I am Emanuele Piero. I was driving car number. Are you sure you want to talk to me? Yes. So I thought I might be in credit camera. I don't know, but I wasn't. To cut the story short, all the rules that I broke were I drove without safety belts, without helmet, uh, with half of the body in the car and half of the body out of the car, uh, although it was at 20 miles per hour. So, they were really angry. I wasn't pleased because I thought this was a nice gesture, but at the end of the day I said, well, if you really want, please fine. And they said, uh, we need to find you. And then I said, how rich is the owner of, who owns the car? I said, the American fellow. And he said, how rich is he? I don't know. Do you think 5,000 will do? I said, please. Uh, by then I was, <laughs> I was really getting uh, a, a little bit annoyed. I said, please, gentlemen, if you feel appropriate, do what you want. Uh, I didn't want to offend anybody, but feel free. So I get fined. I tell the story to Bernie Carlo, he's a very, very smart American lawyer. And what he did, and actually Charles Marsh 
was quite embarrassed about this. But I understand the, 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 the stewards. I don't want to speak bad about them, especially because now I am one of the stewards. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, uh, you know, if they felt it was dangerous, maybe they didn't know how much in control everything was. But, you know, okay. So Bernie Carr was writing an unbelievable fax at the time. There was no other mean. Saying, um, uh, you have to understand that motor racing is lacking of people like Emanuele Piro who are showing so much enthusiasm. is getting so dry and so boring and you should reward people like him but anyway we we accept your fine but i enclose a check of ten thousand pounds because he's gonna do exactly the same <laughs> next year and he said he said not. <laughs> bravo bernie carl eh no i i f actually the way he wrote it of course i can't i no, can't no, repeat no, no, it no. but it's been brilliant it's really brilliant it's a great story it's a great story okay and uh, we were talking about Le Mans before because uh, first time we won Le Mans I was lucky enough to be at the uh, in the car at the end and you know the last lap is is actually a parade lap because although it's still a race lap but basically the race freezes the lap before and it was such an unbelievable feeling and and so many people uh, i mean you you guys want to want to see everybody who is listening should go to le mans to see what the feeling is when you do the last lap and everybody all the marshals with the, yeah, with, yeah. The, with the flags and it, it's an unbelievable atmosphere and it's the time where you start realizing what you've achieved so i must admit i was a little bit too slow it must have taken like 10 minutes and um, and and i grabbed the flag and everything. So for the following year, they made uh, a new rule, which was nicknamed uh, Lex Piro, that you have to drive the last lap no longer than twice as long as your fastest lap in the race, <laughs> just to stop me that. And moreover, I was kind of hanging out of the car with half of the body to in, in a sign of happiness. The next year, lucky enough, I was again in the car when we won and I was further out of the car and I wanted to do something more special the third year and I don't know if you guys remember but I was completely standing on the seat like a motorbike rider standing on the seat I, and coming out I hit with my with my knee the steering wheel and I nearly fell off the car but <laughs> I didn't thank God sometimes you need a little bit of luck so and I was completely standing and then I got a real real uh, how do you say Bullocking. Bullocking. yeah this is what I wanted to say but I wanted to find a, a polite synonymous but anyway yes and uh, and so I had to apologize and I had to promise I would never do again which uh, because I had step four version 4.0 which was an unbelievable trick that I never told anybody I, and I will never do and uh, although I won one more time I wasn't able anyway to cut the story short Daniel Poisson few years later because he was the guy who really gave me a hard time um, we were drinking a nice glass of wine in uh, in California Laguna Seca and he said you know what Emanuele I have to admit I had to give you bollocks but you you i really liked it and you were really good so i support you so i felt uh, yes thank you right i think i think i think uh, all of you out there are now getting the getting the idea aren't you <laughs> um just before we move off goodwood um what would what tips would you give someone who's never ever raced there and is racing there tomorrow you're, you're looking at them at the moment yeah um i think what I always tell myself, respect yourself, respect the car you're driving, respect other people, enjoy every single meter you're doing, and drive within your possibilities and capabilities. This is what I would, uh, I would say. But above all, 
enjoy because it, it's an unbelievable pri- privilege if, even if you drive a Fiat 500 with all respect for the Fiat 500 <laughs> but you know to be here and, and, and drive around is an unbelievable privilege so yeah respect yourself and the others I would say right I'll be doing that then I'll be doing that sorry Rob no, it's okay. I just, let's get the ball rolling round the table with uh, Nigel Roebuck and uh, Simon Aaron and, of course, Ed Foster, who we've just heard from. Um, Lumal, five times a winner. Fantastic. It's a fantastic... I mean, to win it once is amazing. To win it five times, fantastic. What? Actually, what? it's even more fantastic because I drove Le Mans once in 1981 as a, as a kid. Um, because the, the year before is the year I started motor racing with the Formula Fiat Abarth 2 liter, which was a similar to Formula Ford, brand new championship, lots of young drivers. And this was my first season in, in motor racing. I won this championship and uh, Fiat Lancia Group as a, as a reward. The next year I, I did the Formula 3 European Championship, but Cesare Fiorio uh, asked me if I wanted to drive in there squad which uh, it's a little bit like Audi now you know Martini Lancia was an unbelievable team in those days and uh, and the, the other drivers were my heroes you know Riccardo Patrese, Eddie Cheever, Andrea De Cesare, Piercarlo Ginzani, Michele Alboreto I was a kid and I felt unbelievable so I was uh, invited to drive Daytona which uh, eventually we won this this, uh, this this race and for me it was my first ever race outside Italy and then I was invited to do Le Mans and, and just a couple of years ago just thinking back with a little bit more maturity uh, I kept good terms with Cesare Fiorio and I, I called him up and I said you know Cesare I just went through an interview and about what we did and I really realized, which at the time I didn't, how brave you were to take me without yeah. testing, without anything. After a uh, 20 minutes race of um, former uh, Fiat Abarth, in straight into a 24-hour race, Daytona with no chicane, I said, I, I, I just want to thank you after 30 years because you have been so, so brave and so courageous. I wouldn't do it to a, a young kid like, like I was. Uh, because I said I was just a kid and he said yeah I'm unwelly but I was just a kid too that's why <laughs> I did it <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, it, what you must have been asked this a thousand times but um, what are the secrets of winning Le Mans so many times I mean there's people there's Jackie X there's Tom Christensen obviously there's a few of you who've just done it time and time again for me every time I, I, I won this race I always said biggest secret is a lot of luck because basically you have a lot of uh, situations or occasions where you can throw the race away the race away but there is very little you can do to win it apart from doing your job properly it's a race where you 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 start uh, putting uh, bricks one on top of each other to build the wall of of victory uh, since uh, a long time before in testing, preparing the car, building up a good team atmosphere, which is one of the strengths of Audi, because Audi, if you remember, not every year. Now it, it, it's got an image of unbelievable, unbeatable car, but not every year we were driving the fastest car, if you remember. I'm sure you know uh, which years I'm talking about. Yeah. But the squad was, the, our strength was um, our... Uh, our team, our trust into each other, our preparation, our on-track operation with Team Yost, and and the the healthy uh, rivalry between between drivers, you know. So it, it's a long process of preparation, and I think one of the credits I have to give to Audi and Dr. Rurik is that he kept the same people for a long time. So with Frank Bila and Tom, my first three, win, three wins, and and Marco Werner afterwards. 
it, you know, you are driving with people that you would you would give your uh, the the key of your life to them. You know, there is such a big uh, trust between each other. Nobody wants to show he's better than the other. Uh, when I set up the car, I do it in function of the others, and and so and so they do. Um, this is really for me what all you can do to win the race. Everything else, you are in the hands of. Uh, of, uh, I mean, there are so many people who, who, who lost races that uh, have been already won, and um, it, it's it's a difficult question. Yeah. Uh, every time I won the race, I look I look up because I believe in God, and I said, "Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thanks, mate." <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I'm sorry to hog the questions, but Nigel and Simon, please butt in. But just one more for me, and that is. When you look back on your career, d do you have regrets about your Formula One, your Grand Prix career? Um, I am an incurable optimistic, I have to say. So to speak about regrets, it's quite hard. But one th one thing probably I have is, uh, which was a, a regret in one hand, but I think a good a good choice on the other hand, um, because when I started to race, my dream was Formula One, obviously, but I realized how difficult it was and I, I thought I don't really know if I'm going to make it uh, because also I always question about my ability. You never, I've, I've always been very hard on myself and always looked where I can improve and not what I have done. So this attitude actually made me always probably underestimate a little bit myself rather than overestimate it. So uh, the question was always, am I good enough for that besides Will will I have the right lack of op or opportunity? So um, when I was doing Formula Three Thousand, my first year, I had um, a call from BMW Motorsport because uh, my friends Roberto Ravaglia and Gerard Berger were already drivers, and touring cars in those days was, on my eyes, something for old people. But I drove the six thirty five, really nice car. I realized that this could be a very good way to continue racing, a very good plan B. So what I did was always, and, and actually it, 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 it was quite easy for me to, to drive these cars. It, it was, I was quite good, sorry about being immodest, but it came... It well, the came record <laughs> speaks for itself. <laughs> so I thought, uh, I have to do this, you, just in case plan A doesn't work. So I kept driving um, touring cars beside my single-seaters career. And when I got actually into Formula One, I continued driving for BMW. So in my first year of Formula One, I drove for Benetton. Uh, that year, I was uh, I took 108 flights, one plane every 3.3 days. I was living in Suzuka every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every second week. I was testing the McLaren. I was racing the Benetton. I was uh, uh, still continuing doing the Formula 3000 Championship in Japan and the Grand Champion Championship and doing the races with BMW in Europe. So to cut the story short, <laughs> which is not really one of my best abilities, <laughs> uh, the regret is that I didn't put all my all my energy in in a discipline which is already very difficult by itself even if you give 100% not that I didn't give 100% but two things once <coughs> my body size was really not uh, not uh, not not good for the formula 1 cars of these days tall, yes yeah. too tall especially with the benetton and i had a lot of problems with my knees and i always i was booking the rooms beside the ice machine because of uh, i always i was living with an ice bag on my knee every night so and I should have stopped everything else. But 
as an incurable optimistic is that the good side of it is that when after three years Formula One didn't work anymore, I had a nice motorway in front of me with an unbelievable career. And honestly, uh, I, I would change my career with very, very few people, not in terms of success, obviously, but I was lucky to enjoy so much every single uh, uh, category and championship. And nearly every year, but one or two, I was driving a car which was capable to win. And I remember I had a conversation with um, uh, Eddie Cheever, who we nearly grew up together in Rome. And he, he was doing many years in Formula One, and, and I, you know, he's kind of, uh, how to say, proud of himself, Eddie, as an attitude. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, he is. And uh, so, uh, but then I thought inside of me, we were talking about the careers. I said, you know what? I, I didn't tell him, but I, I thought I wouldn't change it because to fight for victory, uh, even if it's a lower category, yeah. is an unbelievable feeling. And, um, and so, yeah. You people who are listening can't see, but I'm smiling because at the end of the day, it could have been a lot worse, you know, without world championships or Grand Prix wins. You, you've done nothing but smile since you walked in here. It's great. They, um, did you think that maybe the because f- in I think it was in 1987, jo- uh, John McDonald, Middlebridge, they, they, there was a, a Benetton which was going to be was it Trussardi jeans. Absolutely. We saw we saw pictures of it in black and white, and it wasn't allowed. They wouldn't give it an entry, but that was going to be your Formula One break. Yes. Did you think the chance had gone after that? Maybe. No, uh, actually, you know what I, the thing I remembered best about this whole story, which was very long because it was always maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, uh, John McDonald's saying. Uh, be patient. <laughs> I, I, I was probably calling him twice a day. I, I can't remember, but all he said was, "Be patient." <laughs> and uh, it it didn't work. But in fact, '87 it was a little disappointing because '86 uh, was my last uh, Formula 3000 year. Being my second, it really made not so much sense to continue, and and it it didn't quite work for Formula One. So, but. I was so happy with BMW, with Schnitzer, with Ravaglia. That was such a, a beautiful time of my life to, to race in the World Endurance uh, World uh, Touring Car Championship. That I said, okay, I didn't get to Formula One, but I'm still enjoying and, and, and it works. And then at the end of '87, uh, I got a telephone call from my good friend, buddy Stefan Johansson, who said, uh, you know, Emanuele, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just driving around. Uh, he was driving McLaren at the time, and I said, he said, uh, uh, Philip Morris wants to do a commercial in Phoenix one week with the McLaren, and Alan Prost can't do it, and Ron is looking for a driver to drive the car around. Would you like to come? He's going to pay you, and I said, uh, yes, sure, why not, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I come. So we went, we had a good time, of course, because uh, it's not, it's quite difficult not to have a good time when Stefan and I are together. And, uh, and then Ron said, you know, we are just about, they were running Porsche engine or TAG engine. Yeah, yeah. We are just, we just made the deal with Honda and we have to set uh, a test team in Suzuka because Honda wants to develop uh, the engine. So we will send a car and a test team there and uh, we're looking for a driver. If you're interested, at the time there was no test driver role. So he actually said to me, I don't know what this will lead to, but at least uh, It'll give you the opportunity to to drive with two top guys, Prost and Senna, and uh, and he said we'll give you an option, but it's going to be quite hard to to replace them. But 
at least uh, you know I, he said I, I think you should take it so I said yes so I took my suitcase I went to live in Japan and this was an unbelievable time because I first I learned a lot from Prost and Senna not how to drive because I think this is the only thing that cannot be really taught but I thought by driving as fast as I could this was all I had to do in motor racing and and, and by working close to these two people I really learned that there are a lot of other things that a great champion is having more than the others you know commitment dedication mm-hmm. attention to details mm-hmm. ability to uh, to get the other people involved and 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 giving their best and uh, uh, they were doing everything better than me some things I couldn't do it because by default but a lot of other things I actually could so this was a, a, a breakthrough in my in my life actually Emanuele can I just cut in there how are they different in terms of what you learned Both. from them yeah um, well they were quite different uh, I think this this that chemistry very unlikely will happen again because uh, they were so different there was a uh, hate and and maybe even love because uh, actually years later you could you could also yeah. say uh, love um, I think what I liked about in Ayrton Senna was the intensity that he had uh, which I tried to imitate but of course I could never get any close he was giving everything he had and and he was showing now what I don't like about modern racing modern especially Formula One is drivers don't really uh, they actually tend to hide yeah, the w- what they give the emotions it, it they they feel it like uh, a sign of weakness in a way mm. so you see at the end of the race I'm sure they're tired although Michael Schumacher once told me that now after a Grand Prix he could start one straight straight uh, straight again straight yeah. Uh, yeah. you know yeah. uh, and and in the old days he was really finished so probably the cars were were more demanding before physically but you know Senna he wasn't hiding anything and mm. I think this is one of the reason why people identified themselves yeah, w- with um, with him Alan Prost was essential I, and he, he was unbelievably uh, fast and looking unbelievably slow and uh, actually when he looked fast he wasn't he was rather slow when he looked slow he was very fast and to me uh, I probably I think because they didn't feel me feel I was a threat which is not really very good for me to <laughs> say but let, let's say maybe this is this is wrong but they, they were both very nice they treat me like uh, they maybe felt a little pity in a way because I was there hoping and working hard and actually what we did in Suzuka uh, every second week Tuesday Wednesday Thursday so many miles so much pain because the car again for me wasn't that comfortable so bruises and and yeah. uh, uh, loneliness and everything but of course it's been an incredible period of my life which I, I thank God and Ron in the same order <laughs> uh, uh, so they probably felt a little bit uh, sorry and pity and this is why they were both very nice let's let's not put Ron too close to God eh? <laughs> anyway um, can I just um, come in with a question because uh, we've had a question sent in from Alan McNish the real Alec McNeil? <laughs> yes, the real. <laughs> all the way from Malaysia, where he's supposed to be concentrating on his job with the BBC. But he's obviously had time to have a look at the motorsport website. And he says, uh, his question to you, Manuel, is, did you enjoy racing in America, Europe or Japan most of all? And why? 
Well, uh, first, uh, let me say I'm really happy and proud that Alan uh, took his time to uh, to write a question. Alan is a is a special person to me. Um, we I felt a lot of sympathy for him before he joined Audi because he drove for Onyx, and I thought you know I I, I liked him. Then he came to Audi, and uh, I was very happy that he came. But in uh, somehow things didn't work for some misunderstanding first and and then because of our both uh, strong personality and strong will to succeed so we got a lot of friction for many years a lot of friction mm. i always always respected him and uh, rate him very highly but uh, he was my nightmare and maybe i was his nightmare yes. maybe this is too much but we we didn't really like each other and then I remember we had one trip in Florida we drove uh, together the car for quite a long time and uh, we started we both wanted to get close to each other because uh, I mean we were quite mature and then uh, we both probably inside of us felt it's stupid uh, and then uh, this trip was really helpful and at the end I said you know Alan I like you very much and I always did and he looked at me and said you know Manuelio <laughs> Me too, and then since then we became good friends, and uh, and uh, I really, I really, really rate him very, very highly. Going back to the question, um, racing in America has been uh, a very valuable time of my of my career and life because sports cars, the sports cars I've I've driven, especially the R8, are in extremely enjoyable sports cars. You could push really, really, really. Yeah so much with these cars the tires i don't want to be like the american guys you know i want to thank michelin i want to thank this i want to <laughs> thank my mama but the michelin tires were so good that you 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 didn't have to think about saving the tires they kept the performances all the whole stint and even more so for a racing driver to be able to push the only worry was to be as fast as you could it's it's a big thing the american circus as much as i am of course, I'm a big fan of security. I'm actually involved in, in safety in, in different areas now in motorsport with FIA and with my federation and so on. But the American circuits are really great because they're old fashioned. Uh, the tarmac is rough. Uh, they are more dangerous. They are, m they are more like probably similar to our circuits 20, 30 yeah. years ago, w with all respect. And, uh, and this gave us drivers an incredible pleasure of, of driving. Uh, overtaking was something new to me, but I've never been actually a very good overtaker in my career. My perfect race was uh, starting in the lead and, uh, and walking away. When I was starting behind, I never really felt comfortable. Timing of overtaking was never good. And then racing in America, uh, I, I think now I'm a pretty good overtaker, uh, again, being immodest, but I learned, it, it really taught me a lot about uh, timing. The people there are nice, the fans were nice, and actually before, to be perfectly honest, by talking to drivers who raced in America before me, uh, and they said, they spoke very well about Amer racing in America. I, I, inside of me, I thought, yeah, you say that because you have no more chance in Europe, and uh, and this is why probably not true. It it was a very enjoyable. Japan, uh, it was different, but again, I really like to learn from people. You know, Japanese people are really nice, and culture is so different. Racing, it's it's a very at, at a very high level. They have good circuits, and they have unbelievable tires. 
now for the sake of being fair, but Bridgestone tires in Formula 3000, <laughs> the development of, of Bridgestone of, of tires was at its best. Because of the tires, the Formula 3000 were very close to Formula 1. Yeah. And uh, so uh, unbelievable feeling of, of driving. And uh, again, those two years were uh, very important to my career. And it's a step that many people did. Yes, I have yeah. actually have a story because I, I had a bicycle. We were all living in a President Hotel in Tokyo, all the guy jeans, which uh, it means all the foreign foreign people. And I bought this uh, this uh, uh, red bicycle, which then I left it in heritage. And uh, I think Autosport magazine uh, wrote an article a few years later because it's been used by all <laughs> the champions. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. No idea, Vine, Jacques Villeneuve, and all, all the f- champions that uh, came. Uh, and then the bicycle had been stolen uh, uh, two times, and two times has been returned. So it, it's, uh, I, I think this bicycle should deserve a place in the in the museum of motorsports somehow. Next, next well, hall yeah. Of fame, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we should, we should put your bicycle in the Hall of Fame. I think it's a very good idea. Um, Sorry, uh, looking at your sort of career and how you know you were doing all the touring cars while doing Formula One, and you know mentioning there how great it was to go and experience the tracks in America and things. Do you think modern drivers are just too focused on Formula One? You know, all the young drivers coming up, and some of them are, will pass up a, a sports car drive just to stay at a sort of a back of the field team in Formula One. I, I um, my answer is yes, and uh, as I said before. Um, I, I think, I'm afraid, people who race today, they cannot experience the, the fun and the joy. Uh, not that before we weren't trying hard, and not that before we weren't committed, but somehow, uh, a, a, let's say, a, a more relaxed spirit, a more uh, joyful spirit was tolerated. Now, I think there's a lot of uh, also image. You, you almost can't allow yourself to to enjoy uh, yourself and as I said winning is very very important so uh, I think in Formula 1 there are drivers who who have an incredible ability but they are in the back of the grid I don't want to mention names just bef- um, there, there are drivers really really good and maybe they will never have the pleasure of um, of doing uh, races where they can fight for the win. And also I think driving different cars is uh, is um, it, it makes your life more, more your 
career more accomplished. I really learned a lot uh, of versatility by uh, jumping from one car to another from scratch, sometimes straight into qualifying. And it, it's also another way of developing yourself. Probably now everything is it, it's more at, at a higher level. So I think to be good, you have to be closer to the, yeah. to the absolute limit than before. But uh, actually, I'm, I'm happy and I would even have liked to have started a little earlier in my career. <laughs> the problem is now they make a lot more money, but you know, <laughs> our, our <laughs> beloved uh, Dr. Jon, who is uh, our Audi doctor since many, many, many yeah, years, yeah. kept saying uh, the, <laughs> the last suit has got no pockets, you know, so money <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> Okay, let's let's uh, let's put some readers' questions to you because we've had a lot of questions from our motorsport magazine readers, which is always very, very gratifying. And uh, you've obviously got a lot of fans out there, I must say. Um, Thank you so much. Sorry, Manuel, I've lost my place. Here well, we go. Manuel, well, 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 Rob is no, I've found my around with his papers. <laughs> <laughs> you lost your slot. I know. You lost <laughs> your slot. Just let me talk about one thing while I think about it. A couple of weeks ago on TV, they showed the entire 1989 race in Adelaide and I was there so I remember how bad it was but even so I watched it and I thought Jesus was it really like this yes the fact it, that race was uh, ever even started in fact what I remember is that we all after the formation lap we went to on the start and finish uh, and and there was Bernie and more or less we all said uh, it's very very difficult to drive uh, mainly because of the sprays on on the straight and because of the fact that you couldn't go uh, flat out on the straight so you had to adjust the speed according to the aqua planning and and because you were completely blind you could find a car actually uh, going 20 30 miles an hour slower in front of you because it didn't have enough grip enough on the straight and fair uh, fun enough uh, just uh, three or four days ago I, I I had a dinner with Ricardo Patrese mm -hmm. and um, and he he really uh, he was very mad at me because on the straight I hit him because he was just going a little slower than me and when he appeared it it, it was uh, it was too late so it, it was really really bad and i have two two memories there one is that i actually probably did the only rolling start in the history of formula one because uh, <laughs> uh, i have to say amongst my few qualities i don't have the one to be fast in in doing things so when bernie said okay now it's enough in like five minutes it's red uh, green flag and uh and by the time i walked to the car and i belt myself everybody was gone so i was kind of catching up in the formation lap and when I got and, and, and there was a Rory Byrne on the radio speed up speed up speed up they're starting they're starting so by the time I got to the last hairpin the race had started and, uh, and, and I started like uh, a rolling start <laughs> and and the other thing is actually I, I felt I almost insulted myself because I think it was too dangerous especially on the straight you know uh, not too dangerous just too silly because you were trying to adapt your speed according to the sound of of the engine of the car in front of you am i too close the sound was too and then i, I was telling myself uh, like insulting myself because i was not uh, courageous enough to say stop and sometimes you have to be brave to say stop and and hats off for nicky lauda in you know in in now recent but uh, in, in fact i mean prost did stop at the end of the first lap of that race and gerhard has said to me that he said before the race i agreed with Alain. yeah i'll do the same 
uh, and he said, if ever I was ashamed of anything in my life, it was that. Ah, uh, you see, the, I don't remember this At the end of the background. first lap, he said, I saw Alan go in, and he said, and I knew I should do the same, and he said, I just wasn't brave enough to, to do it. Uh, no, I really mean it. You know, sometimes you think you need to be brave to do something, but uh, maybe this is more stupidity than courage, and you, the real courage that you need is to... Mm to quit when you think something is not feasible. Well, especially feasible. when you're about to win the World Championship, possibly. Yes, yes. Um, let's get I wish I could test this feeling, you know. <laughs> <laughs> let's get in some readers' questions, because they take a lot of trouble to send them in. Um, this, this comes from uh, uh, Ed, but not our, it's not our Ed, it's, it's another Ed. Yes, yeah, and it's not yes, me. Yes, not okay. Me. Um, he wants to know, Manueli, do you agree or disagree with... Um, uh, Mr. Baretsky, that noise is wasted energy in motor racing. So a lot of us love the noise. W w w noise is very topical right now, isn't it? Uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's a very actual, very actual topic. <laughs> uh, I admire and rate Mr. Baretsky very, very much. And uh, I think from a, probably from a pure engineering point of view, I think is uh, is right. Actually, the the noise or the not noise of the Audi, I I think is a very very nice noise because you really feel the power, you really feel the wind. Um, personally, I have to say I never really liked so much the noise of the Formula One cars of today with uh, 18 or 20,000 RPM. I always felt. It, it's a little bit too much. I prefer more bass, more uh, V8, something which is more kind of vibrating than, than this high frequency. Uh, but I'm, I'm not saying that now I, I like the Formula One noise of today, but uh, I think quality and quantity, they don't always go together. Yeah. So not the louder, the better. Uh, but um, I, I think it's a question of taste, actually. But... What uh, to cut the story short? Uh, the engineers are unbelievable people. My my dream was to be an engineer in my next life, and so I admire them a lot. But sometimes things have to be done with some emotions. So let I think I disagree with what he says <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> okay, okay, good answer, good answer. Um, we have to ask an Italian this, um, and this one comes from Mario Carnero Neto in Brazil. Um, and he wants to know, do you think Ferrari will come back to Le Mans? And if so, would you, would you love to get involved with that? Ha, ha, ha. Was it do I hope or do I think? Do, you, do, do, you do, think do I hope? Yes, of course, because I think every uh, good manufacturer must race in Le Mans right now for many reasons. Do I think? I, I'm afraid I would say no. Uh, really? Yes, because Le Mans now, I think it's a commitment in terms of, uh, uh, yeah, commitment, technology, um, investments, no second to Formula One. And um, if if you think being a successful Formula One team that with your left hand uh, in the back of your body, you can build a, a, a competitive Le Mans car, I think it's... Uh, it's it's uh, underestimating the difficulties and probably when they will do um, a feasible uh, how to say research of uh, fac feasibility uh, sorry about my english but you know yeah, once yeah, they look right, deep into it uh, probably they will find out that they they need 
almost a, as big operation as, as a Formula One team. I really, really hope I'm wrong because uh, imagine how much benefit we will all have from, uh, from a, a Ferrari prototype. Uh, but imagine how many critics, imagine if now there was a, a, a Le Mans operation, if now Ferrari w w would be also developing a, a Le Mans car, right. uh, Impossible. people would say, you see, they're doing a Le Mans car yeah. and they, yeah. they don't win in yeah. Formula One. Yeah. I, I really hope I'm wrong, but uh, okay. I'll be surprised. I mean, n knowing what you know about the Audi setup, how long do you think it might take Porsche to get it to get a win at Le Mans because you were talking earlier a lot about how long it takes to build that kind of incredible teamwork exactly uh, the way I saw it now we know a little bit more but I don't want to really go in details about what I heard about testing and what I know but what I thought before was uh, uh, I think it wouldn't be that uh, difficult for Porsche to build a car nearly equivalent to in, in terms of performance uh, of an Audi because there's a lot of technology available in the world if you have the budget there's a lot of good people so with a good manager and recruiting the right people theoretically it's possible to build a, a top class product what you cannot buy uh, not even with MasterCard <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is the experience on track and uh, and I think uh, for this, uh, uh, everybody who comes in has to pay a duty because uh, Rome has not been built in one day, and uh, and and the the quality that uh, of on track operation and on uh, of preparation that uh, combination of years and how they have. Uh, you just cannot buy. Simply, you cannot buy. You you need to co to go there and slowly learn. And uh, so, uh, this is the way I see it. Some people can be maybe as fast, but to be as successful, you can win a race because you know it, things yeah. can work. But uh, on long term, it takes a little while. Okay, let's take one from Avinash, uh, and he wants to know what's going on with Italian racing drivers. I mean. There hasn't been a gr an Italian Grand Prix driver since 2012. 2012. Yeah, but and, uh, and where, where are all the Italian drivers? Well, so it's an interesting statistic. Before we, um, They're on the road, breaking <laughs> the speed limits. <laughs> well, that's, that's <laughs> in the motorway. But I mean, it's an interesting statistic. I mean, Italy had a fantastic body of drivers right from the very pioneering days of motor racing, Nuvolari to the 30s. They won three of the first four world championships, and when we first met in the mid 80s, I mean, European F3, Formula Two, Formula 3000 was full of young Italians. Absolutely, uh, and go-kart, I mean, actually. Young and karting as well. But, I mean, there were some really good ones, Capelli, Modena, yourself, etc. Um, but, you know, no world champions is 53. I ask my, myself this question nearly every day because I would love to see young Italians. Um, and I, I don't really have an answer. Some answers are... Um, uh, right now, there is no structure to bring up drivers. But, on actually, on the back of my heart, I always thought... If you are a very good driver, even if you are a very good driver, you need some luck. Like, yeah, sure. but if you are an outstanding driver, I I think people like Senna, people like Prost, people mm. like uh, uh, Clark, uh, these some really outstanding drivers. Even with no luck, even if they were born mm. in Zimbabwe, with all <laughs> respect for Zimbabwe, somehow yeah. they found a way to show their their abilities. Yeah. So probably. Italy never had one driver of this caliber, but I think Italy had drivers who could, with a little bit of luck, win a world championship, yeah. and they wouldn't have taken away from from anybody. And I think about Elio De Angelis, for instance, yeah, who yeah, yeah. was standing Ayrton Senna's speed when Ayrton Senna was 
a potentially good driver, but not the Ayrton Senna of today. And and I think Helio, if he didn't if he didn't die, he, he could have won a championship. Michel Alboreto with uh, with some good luck. Not I I don't talk about the people who are no longer with us just because. I feel sorry for them. I, I really mean it. Michele with a little yeah, bit yeah, of luck, he could have won a championship, and uh, and some others who maybe n didn't even win a Grand Prix. Stefano Modena, God knows. Um, but uh, I I feel people also to to be a real champion, you need some uh, strength inside. You need some uh, uh, hunger. And maybe Italians, as by default, maybe we are too. Our mama is always uh, looking after us, and maybe we don't. <laughs> we don't really have this big hunger. I I don't know, but right now there is a major problem. There are no structure. I was so lucky because Philip Morris was helping us a lot in our in our time, and uh, now there is Red Bull, but it's far away from Italy. Philip Morris, it was there was an Italian branch which was very successful. So a lot of people, Andrea De Cesaris, you guys can name them better than me, mm. Alex Caffey, Mick yeah, yeah, yeah. a whole generation came up thanks to thanks to Philip Morris. And uh, But this said, because we have so many manufacturers, and as I said before in karting, all the top manufacturers in karting are Italians. And in my time, there were a lot of uh, Italians who were at the top of karting. Now there are not even... Well, in yeah, I mean, w when Andrea Gilardi won the World Karting Championship, he, he, be he beat Michael Schumacher and Alan McNish. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, you know, you can look back on those karting statistics. And so can I, I've got to move on there because we're running out of time, which is really sad. We could stay here all night. Um, this comes from Diego Ruiz, and he wants to know, uh, what was the scariest moment you've ever had in a racing car? Uh, well... Maybe outside the racing car was when I got uh, stuck in the toilet before the start <laughs> of <laughs> of uh, of uh, a go kart race in uh, Yesolo near Venezia, which was uh, very far away from Rome. So early days of my <laughs> career, we were all on a starting grid, ready to go, and uh, of course I had the last minute pit stop to do. So I went, and the main toilet was closed. So I went to the secondary toilet be behind behind the grandstand. And uh, and I closed. It w I don't tell you how dirty it was, but basically I closed the door and I pulled the handle, and the handle stayed in my hand, and the pin <laughs> fell from the on the other side, and so I was hearing Emanuele Pirro, Ergato, di andare alla partenza, Emanuele Pirro. I was shouting, and nobody was basically. Uh, <laughs> and, so and, and my dad was so mad at me. You cannot believe, and I was so mad at me, but they basically I, I couldn't start. Okay, this is joke because uh, seriously, unfortunately, I've seen people killed and uh, and this were scary. But um, I have to say, I, I always have always been quite aware of the risks uh, of motor racing, uh, which probably stopped me from doing daring a little bit more, let's say. But uh, when somebody got killed, I, I never had the instinct of uh, saying, oh, now I stop. Wow, motor racing is dangerous. Uh, then, uh, you know, because I, I, I knew it before. 
but uh, you know when for instance uh, Michele got the accident was one of the worst time of my life uh, when I saw Jean-Louis Lafosse uh, being killed in my first Le Mans we were talking about Le Mans but then we were get carried away I, I did Le Mans in 1981 and I, I, I drove one stint in that only one stint I saw Jean-Louis Lafosse being killed and, and we were passing by on the straight over the debris for several laps behind the pace car then there was one lap of green and the next lap uh, Thierry Butsen with the WM crashed on the straight. He was okay but uh, I think one marshal was killed and it was full of... Uh, I don't want to say the details but no, this sure, was very sure, shocking. Sure, sure. But it, please don't scare yourself at Goodwood this weekend. Oh, I try not and uh, actually we've been laughing so much and having uh, such a good time that we cannot complete the interview talking about this accident we're so not, we need one more question we're please. Not, we're, <laughs> we're, 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 no, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, we're not, not going to end on that note, don't, don't worry actually, about can I, that. Can I just go back to the, the young driver thing, you've got Italy at the moment, you've got Raffaele Marcello who's backed by Ferrari, he's in GP2 with the champion team racing engineering, what, how much do you know about him, I mean is, is, he, is he a solid prospect? Yes and then there's also Antonio Fuoco. Uh, people say very very high things about him. So these two guys could be could be so all hope uh, is our not potential lost. our potential future. Somehow I think in a way myself and and uh, people of my generation have been somehow responsible because we've been so our longevity has been so so long that uh, we probably uh, stopped the very next generation to come up because we kind of. Uh, hanged on for uh, for a long time but uh, Raffaele uh, he's lucky actually that he's racing now because he's taller than me and if he was if he would have <laughs> been driving 20 or 30 years ago he could only be a, a, a good touring car driver so uh, and Antonio Fuoco both are really really good and um, yeah, we need we need one Italian. Forgive me. I mean, you British had a lot of world champions, and uh, it would hey, be nice to have one. Hey, we're more than happy to have Italian drivers on the grid. Grazie, Don't worry grazie, about grazie. It. grazie. Ah, yeah. Manuel, well, actually, while we're talking about Italian drivers, the one guy we didn't mention earlier on was Sandro Nanini. <laughs> Tell us a Nanini story. <laughs> if Sandro, I mean, you know, you cannot have everything in life, and uh, probably people extraordinary like uh, like uh, maybe uh, Michael Schumacher or Ayrton Senna I, I, I think to to succeed you need a large variety of characteristics mm. at the highest possible level um, it's like winning a bingo sometimes somebody is born with uh, a lot of these characteristics all at a high level yeah. Um, yeah. if Sandro had one or two more he would have been an unbelievable champion because he had such a natural instinct of driving uh, which probably he didn't even know himself um, how he was doing that uh, I guess he was second to none uh, maybe like Maradona you know these people who they don't know why, but they can do it uh, exceptionally well, well Messi, even with 30 I think Messi knows what he's doing uh, but Messi, Messi doesn't go through 30 espressos and 60 cigarettes a day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is, I mean, uh, we were at Benetton one year, and, uh, okay, unfortunately, I, I had not much time to do um, fitness because I was travel. I wasn't basically on the road all the time, but I, I really felt I should have done more, and I, every minute I, I had free, I tried to do something, and then I see this guy who was most of the time quicker than me. His fitness was espresso. When he was tired, one more espresso. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But it's sad because these people. I, I don't know if motor racing will has got room for this for these people. You know, Andrea De Cesaris is another unbelievable talent. These people were so different, so uh, unique, so special, so but yet so good. You know. Okay. Good. Um, that just about wraps up our, our readers' questions. So why don't we just do one lap at the table before we go? It's been great having you here, Manueli, I must say. Uh, best fun we've had for a long time. Um, Nigel, from your vast memory bank. Uh, oh, let me start. Let me, let me start then, because y you drove for my girl for a, some time, and I'm just down the road from where we're sitting. Oh, yeah. Every time I pass by Sign Bogner Ridges, this was the beginning of my dream, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and actually, Mike was a, he's a, he's a really cool guy. He's a really cool guy and uh, incredible memories. I've been with him three years. Uh, so he was patient and good enough to keep me for three years, and uh, uh, really, really unbelievable. Even with the with the two mechanics we had, and uh, yeah. Formula Two, which was a, a really nice time, because in those years Formula Two was really a nice car to drive. Yeah. When I'm asked which which is the best car you ever drove, I always name three: the Formula Two of that year, the March uh, eight four two eight four two. And uh, Audi R8 and the McLaren MP44. This March, it was so nice, and the new Formula 3000 was so bad at the beginning because mm. nobody had experience with yeah. ground effect, and it uh, was such a, a, a step backwards in terms of uh, pleasure. But uh, Mike, I, uh, really good time. Thanks, Mike, for uh, <laughs> for holding on to me. And uh, every time I see him, it's uh, it's nice. I think he does listen because he winds me up sometimes about it. But ju just to explain, just to explain to all of you listening out there, w uh, we're talking about um, my girl who ran it. First of all, ran David Purley and Derek Bell and people in Bognor Regis, and then went on to do the Onyx Formula One team. Okay, Simon. I mean, going back to those days, Formula 2, Formula 3000, they were my first years on, on the road as an international reporter. And it was, it was a very, as you said, it was a very happy time. I mean, the motor racing was, seemed more relaxed. I know it was serious on the track, but the atmosphere in the paddock was lovely. Are there any particularly good anecdotes you remember from that time? <laughs> I mean, I remember Beppe <laughs> Gabbiani doing the drive shafts on two, two of my girls' marches in about three laps at Eno one year. But I mean, what, <clears throat> and he's your teammate. But I mean, what, what, what are your best anecdotes from that time? Well, anecdotes. Uh, my memory is not is not that good. But we we were talking. You were talking about atmosphere, and uh, actually, it was. We were all good friends. But another guy who was, um, I I had a great admiration, and I had uh, I rate him very very highly as a, as a driver and as a person. But we were big enemies. Was Mike Thackwell. Uh, and I, he was so strange, this guy. I would like to meet him actually he now. He still is. Yes, he I know, I know. Yeah, he and still is strange. He's one of the most talented person, uh, together probably with uh, Alain Ferté, that didn't make to Formula One, they w and I he came across in my career. He and lives He lives just down the road from here. Yeah, I know he runs a bar, and uh, I wonder whether if I once go there, he will buy me a beer or will charge it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or double now, well, I don't think there's so. There's one way to find out. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> but I remember we were in Pergusa, uh, very hot, and uh, of course there was no catering there. Uh, 
like like now. So we left uh, lunchtime the truck to go uh, somewhere in a, in, a, in a Sicilian restaurant, and uh, Mike was just not far from the gate where Tim Rolt was, and he was sitting in a chair looking at the and uh, at the ground, thinking he wasn't sleeping; he was just looking down. We went uh, for lunch, and you know, Sicilian lunch are not the fastest one. I came back, and <laughs> the guy was still in the same position. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ed, quickly, quickly. You are, uh, by the way, but we just should say that Ed Foster is racing at Goodwood this weekend. So, well done, Ed. Have a great time, and, and be careful. I'll, I'll definitely be being careful. Um, you sort of touched on it. Yeah, another, another, another um, <laughs> advice. Don't trust the people who tell you that Fort Water is flat. I, I'm only in an MGB, so I think it maybe, will be. Maybe it's flat, but yeah. my <laughs> very, 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 very <laughs> first test, Don't trust him. my very first test in a race car, Formula Fiat Talbot, car was delivered, all 50 drivers in Mugello, and uh, and one senior driver told me, Arrabbiata one, oh sure, it's no problem, flat, and it was going from fifth to fourth, one gear down, and uh, and uh, I was not bad in, 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 in the ranking, so if he tells me, so I, I couldn't make it, so I, I just uh, split my body in two, you know, because my foot was just lifting off by itself. So I <laughs> pretend I was only owning half of the body, I forgot about, I just fired my, my right leg for the time being, and I did one of the biggest crash of my life. So first lesson, motor racing taught me, was don't believe to what drivers tell. So this is the advice I'm, I'm giving. We're going around in second gear at this, right? <laughs> um, you, you touched on it briefly, uh, briefly earlier, but you obviously love driving historic so much now, and um, you, know, you had such a long and varied race career. Do you sometimes wish you were born in a different era and you could have sampled whether it was Group C cars or you know, anything? Again, I, I don't like to look back because I'm really, really happy with what I had, but probably yes. Uh, I, I really admire racing of the 60s. These drivers were heroes to me more than anybody else. So the 60s and beginning of the 70s for me was the most unbelievable time. And uh, uh, I, I think, uh, okay, Nigel, you are very young, but uh, a little bit older than me, and you have witnessed, uh, we, you have witnessed um, motor racing from a little bit before me. And I think this time was, uh, must have been, uh, must have been uh, just... Uh, I, I can see you in a Maserati 250F. Easily, easily, easily. Yeah, m maybe I should. I, I had to learn how to smoke, have which you, is something I don't <laughs> like. <but. laughs> have you have you ever driven a 250F? No. No. I just wondered if maybe an opportunity had come along. For uh, you, for you, you sh I would. You I should would try love, and do that. I, I I would love, and and every time. In fact, I was lucky enough to drive several times the Auto Union. Tazio Nuvolari is w actually is my hero. When I was born, uh, not when I was born, when I was a kid, I was given a book of Nuvolari, and uh, his story, his braveness, his courage, his uh, uh, attitude captured me very early and he, he had a phrase on his overall which I put on the back of my helmet since the beginning of my racing and I, I had it all through my career which was uh, uh, there, there was a, a holy heart a heart with the holy cross of Christ and it was written in Italian but translated in English you you will be in uh, you will be with me in a danger and in a victory and uh, and I really like this phrase and when I started racing several years later I painted in the back of my helmet and I had it all, all the way through so these people these cars must have been uh, so so cool to drive <laughs> 
What was, tell me what the Orteanian was like. Actually, uh, I drove it several times, but the time I enjoyed the most was at the Nürburgring, because the new Nürburgring, the Grand Prix circuit, so very flat, so you didn't really have to be extra careful runoff areas. You, you could push, you know, quite, uh, uh, yeah, quite in, in, in a nice way. And um, one feeling was, first, you know, the, the, the way the car is built, the, 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 the welding, the, 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 the way they were treating the metal, such an, an advanced engineering for, for, for that time. So even looking at it, and it wasn't easy, it wasn't difficult to drive, of course, in, in the circumstances with bad roads, with trees, but it's a straightforward car. The only thing is you're, sit, you're sitting so much uh, in front of the car yeah. that um, when you drift, the car goes very easily into drift, and actually you can brake in drifting, you know. You brake, turn, and you, you enter nearly like a go-kart. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Um, but some you have to be careful because the, the, the back end <laughs> overtakes you because the back end is so far away. <laughs> so you don't move so much, and, and yet the car does uh, a big uh, um, a drift angle, you know. Um, so this is the thing that, I had to be careful because when I when I realized how many meters the the, the, the rear end was, I, I thought, wow. But um, it, it, for me, the big thing was the ergonomics. It, they were so uh, wrong. The, 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 the guy, the, the driver was sitting in such an uncomfortable position. Mm. No, yeah, so straight. Uh, and and you, you had to hold on the steering wheel, which the steering wheel moves a lot. Um, if they only knew how to sit the driver in, in a more in, in a more efficient and comfortable position, they would have uh, probably gained a lot. But hats off! I mean, th th these people, yeah, it's a uh, huge, huge, huge uh, uh, emotions and and huge respect for these. They people. were brave. Yes, <laughs> skillful and brave, and uh, there is a big difference. You know, sometimes people say. Who is the best driver of all times? Um, I think this is a, a useless exercise because I think ability has grown as in every other sport. You know, when you see football players, uh, best football players playing, e even Pelé, he, he looks nearly like an amateur compared to the football of today. So uh, the skill of, uh, of um, uh, performance in a sport have been always increasing, increasing, increasing. Uh, but what for me, at the time, the very, very difficult thing was uh, the, the, you you were not forgiven. You know, you couldn't afford to make a mistake. So you had to play with this uh, fine balance of uh, you could, yeah, this was the really uh, difficult thing. And even my time in, in F1 in the 80s, of course you were pushing as, as hard as you can, but you had to keep a, a little bit of a safe margin mm. in downshifting, in, uh, in, 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 uh, in driving, because if you were at 99.9%, one corner you would crash. Like now, one corner they would go wide, or one corner they would miss the apex, one corner they, they lock the brakes. Now, because of the circumstances, because of the circuits, they can afford and they are obliged to go a lot closer to the physical limits than, uh, than before. We need to be careful here or we're going to get into the area of Grand Prix stewards. And I don't think we want to go there today. <laughs> oh, it's fine to me. Uh, it, it, it's fine. It's fine. I, I'm comfortable um, and, uh, because I feel I do it with uh, genuinity, with commitment, 
with with passion and with uh, without being biased. So I'm not in, in nobody's payroll. I've had a lot from motor racing. I don't need anybody. Everybody is, is a friend. Sure. So and I really really commit myself the best I can. Sometimes you wish you are not sitting in this room. Like like last weekend in Australia when we had to disqualify poor Ricciardo, but at the end of the day, I'm really convinced that they do that what they do is is correct, or at least yeah. I do it in goodwill, and this makes me re relief from sometimes the pressure. You you should you Let should you should start <coughs> finding people the winner five thousand pounds if they don't stand up in the car and the slowing down that. That's what you should do. There are a lot of contradictions in, in, in people's life, and I'm a big, a big example, I have to say. Okay, I think, I think bravo, well done, fantastic. No, I want to thank you. Really, you guys are my heroes, and it's been a, a great honor to share this, uh, this, this hour with you, and I really hope that people who are listening uh, capture the, the joy, the passion that we all have, and, uh, and uh, we got a few more wrinkles in our eyes because we've been, uh, <laughs> we've been laughing yeah, the whole yeah. time and smiling. There's not enough laughter in life. <coughs> okay, and they're going to have a great time listening to this. We, we, know, we know they are. Thank you so much. Thank My you. Pleasure. Fantastic. Thanks, okay, that's, that really is all we have time for. Uh, we'll be back uh, next month with our Motorsport Magazine podcast May edition, which will feature James Weaver and Andy Wallace. Weaver and Wallace, come to the podcast. That should be fun too. Okay, thank you very much everybody for listening and thank you so much, Manueli, for popping in on your way from Rome to Goodwood. Wonderful. I'll have two good questions for one for James and one for Andy. Okay. <laughs> Already they're here, ready. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. You, you send them in, we'll ask them. Fantastic, okay. Thank you everybody for joining us. See you next time. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.